Amen. Amen. We're really excited about this. We're really excited about what God's doing in Promises Life and also what God's doing together with, with us in Foothill Bible Church. Um, this is, we hope, the beginning of more and more partnership with them as we seek to um, raise up missionaries from in-house, from our churches, and send them out together. And so uh, it's really exciting. Uh, Foothill has come alongside Steve and Jenny McCullough in supporting them, and then we get the privilege of coming alongside Promise and supporting her. And we're hoping, again, that we'll just see more and more of this happening between our churches um, as Promise said, she's going out with New Tribes Mission, and um, it's just going to be exciting. She doesn't know, again, where she's going to end up with what people group, so we can be praying. But the exciting thing for us here back at home is how we can be part of that. We're going to see a group of people begin to hear the Word of God from Genesis all the way through, and then finally get to the Gospel of Jesus Christ and come face-to-face with the person and work of, of Jesus. And we're going to pray that many get saved and that churches would be planted and that God would be glorified. So... Um, and that it's two weeks uh, that from today that Promise is leaving. So let's be praying for her, praying for her family, and praying for the team uh, that she's going to be uh, joining up with and the people um, that she's going to be uh, ministering to. Let's pray together right now and, and also for our time in the Word together. Father, we thank you so much for just the privilege and the blessing to be here this morning together. And we thank you so much for our sister Promise and just all that you have done in her to get her to this point in her life where she'll be going out to serve you abroad for the sake of the gospel. We pray that you would empower her and that you would strengthen her for all that you are going to call her to do for your name. We just pray for the team that she's going to become a part of, that they would just unite together and that they would do all things for your name and for your glory and that the people that they touch with their lives as they minister the gospel both in word and deed, giving away their, their lives, giving away the truth of the word, that that would just that fruit, abundant fruit, would come from all of that, that people would be saved who right now do not know you. And what a great privilege that we get to play a part in that, praying along the way, getting updates along the way, hearing and supporting her financially with our prayers, and seeing a people who right now do not know you come to know you. We look forward to the day that we'll see them in heaven and we'll, we'll worship you alongside of them. What a blessing. Lord, just be with promise over these next two weeks as she gathers all of her things together and she says goodbye to family and friends, Lord. Um, we just pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, we have a reception after this service in the modular uh, where you'll get to hear more from Promise about uh, her ministry and what, what she's going to be doing over there. She's going to have a PowerPoint presentation. I think there's some refreshments also um, so you can join her and her mom Valerie's here uh, with her and so we're excited you can meet her as well. And just minister, you know, any, any way that you want to even personally get involved in supporting her, uh, feel free to do that as the Lord leads you. Well, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. I'm really excited to be in Psalm in, in the Old Testament this morning. Um, I'm excited to be preaching for those two reasons, for two reasons. One, I get to be in the Old Testament. And anytime I can preach from the Old Testament, I'll take that, that opportunity. Uh, the other thing I'm excited about uh, for this morning and why I'm so excited to preach is because this passage, Psalm 63, has really uh, been ministering to me over the last probably four or five months. I've read this psalm uh, many times, and I'm just finding a lot of encouragement there, and I pray that this morning that you will find encouragement as well. Uh, if you want to give a title to the message this morning, it's Finding God in the Wilderness. In fact, the title of the psalm, which is inspired, not, not the title you may have in your Bible version, but the title of the psalm, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah, describes the wilderness that we'll be talking about today. I think if uh, we were all honest with ourselves, if we, if we could, if we could do this, if we had the power to do this, I think all of us would want to write our own life story. 
If you could be your own biographer, I think you would jump at the chance to do that. If you could write the chapters of your life, we would. And we would write them in a certain way. We would write them uh, and we would fill chapters in the book of our life with happy things and with joy and with excitement and adventure and comfort and ease. We would write chapters about healthy, beautiful bodies and about having perfect marriages, married to the perfect spouse, with beautiful children that obey us and do everything we ask them to do and, and, and just do not embarrass us in front of people. And we would write about having that amazing job, um, that dream job where we get to do everything we've always wanted to do and nothing that we don't. And we would, we would have chapters in our life story about that perfect church with the perfect pastor and with Christians who, uh, who are, never do anything wrong against us. And we would write about rich relationships. And, and there'd be a chapter about our beautiful house in that safe neighborhood and so on and so forth. No one, I don't think, if we were honest with ourselves, no one would write the kinds of chapters that have become part of our life. No one would write chapters about getting cancer. No one would write chapters about difficult marriages that end in divorce or adultery. No one would write about children who walk away from the family or from the faith. None of us would write about having a horrible job that we hate. No one would write about these kinds of things. We wouldn't do that. But alas, we're not the ones writing the story. God is writing the story of our lives. And often, God writes chapters that are very, very difficult. God writes circumstances and situations into our lives that we would never, ever imagine or ever long for or ever write if we, if we had the control. And these are times where God, in writing these kinds of chapters, takes us into the wilderness he takes us into the wilderness of life so that he can reveal himself to us and in that process become very precious to us. And that through all that he does in that time in the wilderness with us, that he might make us more like him. And that's where we find David in Psalm 63. We find him in a wilderness, and he's literally in the wilderness of Judah, but he's in the wilderness of life. David in Psalm 63 is at the lowest place in his life. The most discouraging, the most difficult, the darkest, most depressing time of his life. Every, every song has a story. And this song, this psalm, which is a song that David sang, has a story. And it's amazing when we can go into the scriptures and actually find in the, in the, in the historical narrative the place where these things took place took place that we're reading about in the psalm or the song. And we can, actually, in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, and you can turn there if you'd like. You can turn to chapter 15 for just a second. 2 Samuel chronicles the rise and the fall of David. And David had an amazing life. David's highs were higher than any of us will probably ever experience, and David's lows were, were, were darker and deeper than probably many of us would ever want to go. But, but 2 Samuel des describes this rise of David and how God was upon David and was blessing David and was multiplying favor and kindness and goodness toward David. David was amassing all sorts of things, wealth and fame and women and children and power. And he had everything that you could ever imagine. We read about all of this in the first 10 chapters. And, we, and David gets to Mount Everest, as it were, to the peak, the pinnacle of his life in chapter 10. He has everything that he could ever want. 
And then in chapter 11, we read how he sees a woman who's not his wife. He takes her and he kills her husband and then takes her to be his wife. And thus starts the descent of David's life. Everything begins to unravel. David begins to lose a hold of all that God had blessed him with. And it culminates uh, as, as we head towards this wilderness of Psalm 63. It culminates in chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. Notice verse 13. And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel, the whole nation of Israel, have gone after Absalom, your son. Then David said to all his servants, who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. Here his own son, his, his house begins to fall apart after chapter 11 and 12. And we read the story of how Amnon rapes his half-sister Tamar, who's Absalom's Sister, and how then Absalom goes and kills Amnon, and, and things just begin to unravel. And now in chapter 15, Absalom is leading an insurrection against his father to take away the kingdom of David, whom God anointed king over Israel. And David is, is panicking. He's fleeing, he's fleeing for his life. He says, arise, let us get out of here. He has to leave the very city he conquered in chapter 5, the city that came to be known as the city of David, Jerusalem. He has to leave his own city, with people, And what he did is he gathered some of his faithful followers. People came with David, probably around 1,000 or so people, including about 600 of his guards, uh, came with him and began this journey, this descent down into the wilderness. And they would have taken the road that leads to Jericho and then comes around, and David would have gone into the wilderness just to the northwest of the Dead Sea near Qumran. In fact, if you want a picture, this is not like the San Gorgonia wilderness or Yosemite. This is a different kind of wilderness. This is... There, there you go. That's what David went down into. And he takes about a 1,000 people with him, and they begin that descent into the wilderness. It's, and God is continuing to strip David away of things. As he's going down, he hears news about Ahithophel, his trusted counselor, his friend who ate bread with him, who has now betrayed him to join Absalom, his son, in this insurrection, and even give Absalom counsel on how Absalom can kill his father. Later, further down that road, as, as David is walking, he meets up with Ziba, a man who deceives David and tricks David to take advantage of him, thinking David's probably not going to be around much longer, so I can lie to him and deceive him and take advantage of him. Further down the road in chapter 16, verses 5 to 13, we read about Shimei, a man from the, from the, the line of Saul who, from a safe distance, shadows David and walks along uh, at throwing rocks at him and cursing him. And so literally, we, we, we see this descent into the wilderness for David, both physically and into this wilderness of life. God begins to write this very, very difficult chapter in David's life, and things begin to unravel for David. Be things begin to go crazy. Here's the king who had everything, who's now homeless and penniless and friendless. He has very little of what he had. God is stripping him away. And this is what we kind of expect to read when we get to Psalm 63, a psalm of despair, a psalm of hopelessness, a psalm, a psalm of anguish, a song where David is crying out, going, what's going on, Lord? Help me. But actually, it's the very opposite. It's amazing because Psalm 63 is a song of celebration. It's a song of worship. It's a song of faith and trust in God. It's, and, and for that to be the darkest and lowest point in David's life, it's just fascinating what we end up reading when we come to Psalm 63. One, one commentator said, There may be other psalms that equal this outpouring of devotion, but few, if any, that surpass it. 
And so when we read Psalm 63, we're reading the heights of worship and adoration for God from a man who's at the lowest point, the darkest place probably that he'll ever be in life. And how did that happen? Well, I think, again, we can place this psalm, I think, exactly in 2 Samuel 16, verse 14. They make their way down to the wilderness, and notice 2 Samuel 16, verse 14. I'll read it to you. And the king, that is David, and all the people who were with him arrived weary there. In some uh, translations it says at the Jordan. That's not in the Hebrew. So they arrive weary there at the wilderness, near the Jordan, near the Dead Sea. And notice this. And there he refreshed himself. Something happened there in the wilderness. David was refreshed. And what I think happened is that God showed up there at that moment in David's life. And God came to him while he was in that wilderness of life, that difficult season of his life. And God showed up to reveal himself so as to encourage and refresh and strengthen David. So that what we're reading in Psalm 63 is God's ministry to David and David singing a song. Of, of rejoicing and hope. And this is, this is what God wants to do with us. He's going to lead us into the wilderness, but God leads us into the wilderness so that he can reveal himself to us. And we want to find God in the wilderness when we're in those difficult times. And this morning, I want to give you five truths about what God reveals, how God reveals himself. Try five truths that God reveals about himself to David and to us so that we will be encouraged when we're in those difficult times. Many of you are in the wilderness. Many of you have already had a lot of chapters like we've described written in your life. And some of you, there's chapters that are right around the corner that are going to be very hard. And so we all need this kind of encouragement. And I want to then look at Psalm 63 together and just, just walk through the text and see how God revealed himself to David and how he wants to reveal himself to us. And we see the first way that God revealed himself in verses 1 and 2. God revealed himself to David in the wilderness. In the wilderness, he revealed himself first and foremost as David's God. He revealed himself as God to David so that David would desire him and behold him as God. You see, this is what happens when God takes us into the wilderness. He takes us into the wilderness, and really, it doesn't become about our circumstances. It doesn't become about our sin or the sin of other people. It really has nothing to do with that. God takes us in the wilderness so that it'll be about him and us. That's it. And God began to, even on that descent into the wilderness, he began to strip David of everything that he had so that David wouldn't have anything to hold on to and that he would have to go to God. God wanted to show David that there were no other gods to go to. And so often, when we're not in the wilderness, when we're enjoying times like David had enjoyed in his life, that we look to other things to be our God. If you're soon to be married or if you're a newlywed, you, you, you're, even, even, even if you've been married for a while, you know that often we look to our spouse to be our God. Some of us are looking to our job to be our God. Some of us are looking to our education to be our God. Some of us are looking to our possessions and our wealth to be our God. And what God does in the wilderness is he takes all of that away and he strips you down to nothing so that you see that you really only have one God, and that is God, the God of the universe. And that's what, David, that's what God begins to do to David here. He begins to reveal to David in his love and in his grace that, that he, he's all that David has. He's, he's David's only hope, only savior. We read this. Notice verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have, be, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power 
and your glory. Notice what David says. It's, it's because God gets him to this place and reveals himself to David that David can say, oh God, you are my God. David doesn't say, oh God, you are God. No, he says, oh God, you are my God. You're, you're bringing me to the place in my life where I realize there is no other God for me but you. And I was made for you and you are my everything. David begins to see how, how he was made for God, to long after God. And I think all of us, we, we, we sense that longing. We sense that, that need to worship. All of us want to worship something. Even unbelievers, they're always pursuing something, looking for something to satisfy them. And that's because all of us were made to long for God. All of us were made to long and to thirst for God. And only God is God. Only God can satisfy us. And so God reveals himself as God to David. And he shows David really all of life is a wilderness. It's not just the times in the wilderness that are empty. All of this life is a wilderness in the sense that there is no water here. There's only, there's only one source of living water, and that's God. And David says, you've awakened me in my thirst for you, and I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David knows that if he drinks from anywhere else other than God, he's really just drinking sand from the desert, which will eventually kill him. And that's what God does in difficult situations. He, he, he works things out in your life so that you're left just you and him, and he reveals himself to you as your only God, as your everything, as the one whom you were made to thirst for. So he, God awakens this desire in David so that David then longs for God. He begins to pursue God. He begins to look for God. And David looks to the sanctuary, he says in verse 2, So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. David goes in his mind as while he's in the wilderness to the place that he knows where God dwells, where God has manifested his presence, made his character and his mightiness and his glory known. He goes there in his mind to the sanctuary and he looks and he gazes at God. And this is so important for us because when we're in the middle of a trial... When we're in the wilderness of life, often we're looking other places. And David had so many opportunities and so many reasons to look elsewhere and not at God. It was partly because of his own wickedness and sin that he was where he was. And so David could have just looked internally at his own sin. And if he had done that, he would have spiraled out in despair and hopelessness. David could have looked at the people who, in part, were part of the reason he was there in the wilderness. He could have looked at Absalom, his son. He could have looked at Ahithophel, the counselor who betrayed him. He could have looked at Shimei, the guy who cursed him and, and tried to stone him. And he could have looked at those guys and said, I'm, I'm angry and, I'm, and I'm, I'm bitter and I'm frustrated. And he could have done that. But, but instead, God turns David, by taking him into the wilderness, he turns himself and says, David, that's not about any of that. It's about you and me. And I need you to look at me. I need you to keep your eyes focused on me. And that's where we need to be in the midst of the wilderness, gazing upon the Lord, looking to him. And David, when he thinks about the sanctuary, he would have, seen, he would have thought about the power and the glory of God because it was there in the, in the sanctuary that you saw the power and the glory of God. You saw the power of God even in the animal sacrifices and God's power and ability to atone and cover for the sin of sinful wicked men. You would have seen the glory of God at, 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 in the sanctuary as God manifested his Shekinah glory and revealed his strong presence, his mightiness. So David knew where to look, and he looked there while he was in the wilderness. We have a place to look for us that's even better than the sanctuary, and that's the cross, because it's at the cross that we behold the power and the glory of God. The scriptures say that the gospel, that is the cross, is the power of God, and it's the glory of God. 
in, revealed in the face of Christ so that when we stare at the cross, we see both God's power and God's glory. We see the power of God over sin, the power of God that canceled out our debt that we owed, the power of God that substituted the righteousness of Christ and that righteousness was placed upon us and our sin was placed upon him. We see the power of God there at the cross. We also see the glory of God there when we stare at the cross. Some people, when they stare at the cross, they only see a half-naked man bleeding to death. But if you stare long enough, what you'll begin to see is you'll, you'll begin to see the glory of God. You'll see his, his love and you'll see his mercy and you'll see his his patience and his grace and his wrath and his justice and his sovereignty that he could orchestrate all the events of redemptive history to bring everything to pass so that his son would be there on the cross. You see, the wisdom of God, that's the glory of God. All of God, of who he is and his character and his, his mighty works manifested there. All of God's attributes just coming and clashing and smashing together there at the cross. And that's where we need to look when we're in the wilderness of life. Not at ourselves, not even at our circumstances. David could have looked at his circumstances and said, I can't believe I'm where I'm at. Look at all I've lost. Look at all the the things that I don't have anymore. David didn't look at himself. He didn't look at his circumstances. He didn't look at other people. He looked at at the Lord. And God revealed himself to David there as his God. There's another way that God revealed himself to David in the wilderness. In the wilderness, God reveals his steadfast love for us so that we worship him. God reveals in the wilderness, in difficult moments, God reveals his steadfast love toward us so that we worship him. You know, it's, it's often when we get into difficult situations that we can begin to question the love of God. Even unbelievers do this all the time, whether it's a tsunami or whether it's a school shooting. Where's God? How could a God of love allow this to happen? And I think even as believers, You get in a a, a difficult enough situation, you get in a very painful situation in your life, and you begin to wonder, does God still love me? How could he love me and let this happen? How could this be happening to me right now? I I would have never dreamt that this would have happened to me, whatever it is. And here's David probably wondering those very things. At least his, his, his faith in those things being shaken just a little bit. And notice verses 3 and 4. He says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. He says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. You see, God, he doesn't take us into the wilderness because he doesn't love us. He takes us into the wilderness because he does love us. And because, and in order to love us, and in order to show us how much he loves us, that's why he takes us into the wilderness. And it's here in the wilderness of Judah that God shows up and reveals his amazing love for David. Notice how David describes this love, your steadfast love. That's one word in the Hebrew, one of the most beautiful words in the Old Testament, chesed. And that is God's covenant-keeping faithfulness, his covenant love, his committed love, his unrelenting, unwavering love, his relentless love for people, a love that will never, ever go away. Long before Romans 8, 39, David knew, and, and partly is because God revealed himself here, David realized that nothing could separate him from the love of God. 
not what he had done, not what other people were doing to him. Nothing could separate David from the love of God. God would never stop loving David. And David took great comfort in the steadfast love of God. Often we, don't, we haven't experienced that kind of love. People will love us conditionally. People will love us for a season. People will love us until we do something to them and then they'll stop loving us. But God is saying here to David, I love you, David, and I love you with a steadfast love that will never go away and nothing can separate you from my love. And this blows David away. In fact, he goes on to describe the love. He says, it's better than life. And believe me, David had had a pretty amazing life. He had tasted a lot of amazing things. And David is saying, of all the things that I've experienced in my life, nothing is better than the love that God has for me. In fact, not even the things about life or in life, but life itself. God's love is better than life itself, is what David is saying. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. David's lost a lot of things at this point when he's writing this. But he knows he hasn't lost the love of God. And that this just overwhelms him into worship for God. And this is, this is amazing because it shows us that we don't have to wait until we get out of the wilderness to worship God. We can actually worship God while we're inside of difficult situations. We can worship God and praise his name and bless him while we're in the middle of crushing, painful circumstances. And David does that. He says, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. I will make much of you, God. This doesn't mean that when people come up to you and you're struggling with cancer or whatever, that you say, oh yeah, I'm great. Praise the Lord. Everything's great. No, what I think we, we do here is we worship the Lord and we're honest and we're saying this thing that I'm experiencing right now in my life is painful and it hurts and I would have never wanted it and I don't want it. But let me tell you something about my God. He is loving me through this. And I'm sensing his great love for me and I'm taking comfort as I hold on to that love and I know that that love will never leave me and that God is loving me through this pain and through this trial and through these circumstances that I would have never written if I had the ability to write my own story. This is what David is saying. He's overwhelmed by God's love and it leads him to worship God. There's another way that God reveals himself to David. In the wilderness, God reveals his sufficiency his all-satisfying sufficiency so that David is satisfied in God. This is so important for us because I think when anything starts to go wrong in life, when our plans are deviated, when we, when we get into difficult circumstances, when things happen that we think should not have happened, we immediately become discontent. We start struggling. And, and I think the, the instinctive reaction is, oh, if I could just get over there, everything would be okay. If I could just get rid of this problem or this person, everything would be okay. If we could just erase what happened, everything would be okay. If I could just get over there, my life would be so much better. But what God wants to reveal to David in the wilderness is even though you're in this wilderness, even though you're in this time, even though everything that's happened has come to pass, you're okay, David, because you have me, and I will satisfy all of your needs. God reveals to David that he is sufficient for David. No matter what happens, no matter how things turn out. And I think, again, often we're wanting, we're, we're wanting something else. We're not wanting to be where God has us because we're really not wanting, we're not finding our full satisfaction in God. If we realized that we have God, even in the darkest times of our life, we would be okay. 
But often we're saying, no, I actually want God plus this happiness or God plus this other job or God plus this new relationship or God plus whatever. God is calling us. He wants to reveal himself to us and he's calling us to see that he is sufficient, that really when it comes down to it, he is all that we need in this life. David sang about this in Psalm 23, a psalm that we all know very well. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. Literally, I lack nothing. I lack nothing. I have everything that I, I need because God is my shepherd. Because I have the Lord, he's the one who satisfies me. And we want to, to find comfort inside of that because the wilderness for us may be circumstances that don't change whether it's 10 months or 10 years, things may not change. But we can be okay because God is with us and God is all we need and God will satisfy us. Notice what he says, verses five and six. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Notice that verse six, upon my bed and in the watches of the night. Uh, David is obviously writing out from, from he's writing from out, you know, out in the wilderness. He he didn't transport a king-size bed for himself. So what he's mostly talk, probably most likely talking about are just bed coverings. You know, again, David was a Navy SEAL. I mean, this guy was a warrior. He could sleep outside, no problem. So what we're, what we're imagining is David just with some coverings out, like a sleeping bag, if you will. And he's, and he's not doing much sleeping. Uh, you know, he had left guys back in Jerusalem who were bringing him news about what was going on. And he got a report that Absalom was most likely going to attack him. And so any second, now David is expecting 12,000 men to come around any one of these canyons, these wilderness canyons, and attack him and kill him. David's not getting a lot of sleep. But he has a lot of time to meditate on the Lord. And he says, when I remember you, Lord, when I meditate on you, even though I'm in this, this dark, dark place, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I remember going on a cruise uh, right before I graduated high school in 1992, and we went uh, for seven days uh, on a Caribbean cruise. And man, we ate all the time. There was food nonstop. You eat in your room. You eat at the, by the pool. You eat at one of the many restaurants. Uh, there's guys coming up to you with food. You can order at any time. I mean, it's just food nonstop. And you were just so filled up. In fact, I think I was so full, I didn't eat for like a week after I got off the boat. Um, that's how, that's how satisfied and filled up I was. And this is the kind of the picture that, that David's painting. He's saying, Lord, you are filling me up. You're meeting every one of my needs. You're sustaining me. You are all I need here. And, and notice he uses this food imagery. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You know, one of the benefits of being an elder at Cornerstone is you get to go to Kumi's house every now and then for elders' meetings, and he makes the meanest steaks. And if you haven't eaten a kumi, kumi steak, you haven't eaten steak. And this guy needs to start his own business. And it's, you know, you don't cut it with a steak knife, you don't cut it with a butter knife, you just cut it with the side of your fork. And you start eating, and, and all the elders are just staring at each other every time we're eating a Kumi, you know, kumi steak. We're just, the, our mouths are salivating. And that's, what, that's the picture of David. He's saying, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, as in a fattened animal, a steak and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. My taste buds, my mouth, my tongue will praise you. You're satisfying me, Lord. This is amazing where God is taking David, what God is revealing about himself to David. There's another 
thing that God reveals to David about himself. In the wilderness, God reveals his helping presence so that we can trust in him. God reveals his helping presence so that we trust in him. See, David had a lot to fear. David had a lot to fear. And often when we get into difficult circumstances, we begin to become anxious, we panic, we get paralyzed, we're frightened. This is all, this is all very common. This is what happens to us. But notice David, he's, he, again, as he's beholding the Lord, as he's looking to his God, he takes comfort in the Lord. Again, he had a lot of time to sit up and to think about God. Notice what he says in verses 7 and 8. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. You see, as David sat there at nights under the stars in the wilderness, wondering if he was going to be dead in the next few hours, as he thought about the Lord, he didn't panic, he didn't fear, he began to entrust himself to his mighty God. And he, he, remem- he must have remembered all the times that, that God had helped him. He says, for you have been my help. Think about that. David must have thought back to when he was a boy taking care of his father's sheep and how God had protected him from the lion, from the bear. David would, rem- would have remembered as a young Hebrew boy going to the Valley of Elah and seeing this giant there, this Philistine, and how God moved mightily and helped David to defeat that man who was cursing the name of the living God. David would have remembered the many times that Saul had tried to kill him in the the caves that he had to hide in and how God came to him there and rescued him and helped him every single time. David would have remembered all the battles that he had ever fought, all the armies that he had ever been up against, all the mighty men that he had 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 engaged in battle. And he would have remembered how God delivered him through each one of those. He says, for you have been my help. I think what David is saying, you have been my help, Lord, and you will be my help. And not only that, but he, he, he takes comfort in the fact of God's presence. He says, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. This is amazing that, that, that David is, has, is able to move from fear and anxiety and paralysis to actually trusting the Lord. In fact, we read about this in Psalm 23. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And David knew the presence of the Lord here. God revealed himself that he was David's ever-present help. Not only had he helped him in the past, but God, David could trust God to help him into the future and in the situation that he was in. He says, in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Not only was God present, God wasn't just somewhere off in the heavens. He was with David. But not only was he with David, David was inside of him. He was in his embrace. The powerful wings of God, the arms of God were around David, holding David, protecting David, caring for David so that David could trust in him, so that he could sing, that he could exclaim cries of joy as he he found himself inside of the embrace of God. And so David is able to trust God. Look at verse 8. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. This is amazing language. That, that word for cling, is we see that in Genesis 2, 24, for a man to leave his father and mother and shall cleave or cling or hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And that's the same word here. David is clinging onto the Lord. He's saying, I'm not going to cling to my mighty men. I'm not going to cling to anything else that I could. I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I'm going to commit my life into your hands. I'm going to take hold of you, and I'm going to grab onto you in faith, and I'm going to trust you for wherever we're going and whatever you're going to do. I'm going to trust that you are my help, that you are my refuge, that you are my rock. And so he says, I, my soul clings to you. And, 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 you know, if we're honest with ourselves, often when we're in difficult situations, our grip on the Lord isn't very strong, is it? But David, I think, took comfort in the next line. Notice it. Your right hand upholds me. No matter how tightly you're grabbing onto the Lord and clinging to him in faith, God is the, ultimately the one who has you in his hands. And notice what he says. Your right hand upholds me. In the Bible, the, the right hand of God does amazing things. It's, it's the right hand of God that is glorious in power. It's the right hand of God that shatters the enemy. It's the right hand of God that spread out the heavens. It's the right hand of God that swears to protect his people. It's the right hand of God in the Psalms that brings salvation. And this is such a comfort for us when we're in difficult situations because even though we think we're in the most dangerous, the darkest, the worst the most lonely place in the world. We're actually in the best place we could ever be, and that's in the hand of God. And David took comfort in that. He says, your right hand upholds me. Even if I lose my grip on you, no matter what's going on, you're holding me, Lord. And he took great comfort in that. God just continues to reveal himself to David. There's a last way that, a final way that God reveals himself to David. Notice verses 9 10 and 11. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion to the, for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. You see, in the wilderness, God reveals his perfect sovereignty so that we can hope in him. God reveals his perfect sovereignty so that we can put all of our hope in him. We can wait on the Lord. We can hope on the Lord. Often when we're in the wilderness, often when we're in difficult situations, our temptation, our, our instinct is to start taking control. If something begins to unravel, if things start to go awry, if plans get changed that we weren't expecting, we want to start scrambling to get control of the situation, take control. But David didn't have to do that because he knew that God was in control. God came to him, and in the wilderness, God revealed in his grace to David, David, I'm the one who's orchestrating all this. I'm the one who has led you into the wilderness. I'm the one who is protecting you here. I'm the one who's dealing with all of the forces that are against you. I'm the one who has everything, not only you, David, in my hand, but the whole entire universe in my hands. And so David takes comfort in God's sovereignty. He says, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for the jackals. David doesn't seek to take control of the situation. He, he stands back in faith. He stands back in obedience. He stands back waiting upon the Lord and allows the Lord to act on his behalf and move in this crazy situation of his life. And God does act. It's amazing, actually, how prophetic this was. And I don't think this was written after the fact. I think David, again, he's writing in the wilderness this song. He's composing this song out of all of the emotion that he's in, in all of the circumstances that he's experiencing there in the wilderness for however, however many days he was there. And he says, 
Those who seek to destroy my soul, literally my soul. He says in the previous verse, my soul clings to you, but there's those who are seeking to destroy my soul. And those who are seeking to destroy my soul, they will go down into the depths of the earth. They will join those in Sheol and die, be buried. There will be others who are given over to the hand of the sword and others who are become food for the jackals. Here's David in the wilderness saying some of these other people, my enemies, will actually end up in the wilderness and will be eaten by wilderness animals. And it's amazing. This is actually what happens. As we read on in 2 Samuel, we start to see how one after one of David's enemies begins to be killed and, and, and dealt with by the sovereign hand and the mighty hand of God. God acts on David's behalf, and David hopes in God's character. He hopes in his mighty deeds, and, and, and God comes through. He, he, he takes out Absalom, David's son, and a, a heap of stones are, 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 are put on top of him as he's buried into the ground. Ahithophel, the man who betrayed David, his trusted counselor, goes and hangs himself. Shimei, the guy who cursed David and threw stones at him, gets killed by the sword by the hand of one of Solomon's men later on. One after one, these men die. 20,000 men of Israel who betrayed David and joined forces with Absalom meet David's forces later across the Jordan, in, in, in the wilderness east of the Jordan, and they die there. 20,000 men, unburied bodies, food for jackals. It's as if God's word, word for word comes true as, as God in his sovereignty takes care of the situation for David. All David had to do was hope in God, wait on God, and that's what we need to do in difficult circumstances in the wilderness of life. We just need to entrust ourselves to the Lord. We need to hope in him. And David, he, he saw what I think many of us need to see when we're smack dab in the middle. What, what, what really is so hard to see when we're in the middle of trials and difficult circumstances and situations is that there is going to be an end. The end will come. This will not last forever. Just like every good chapter of a book, it will end it will end, and a new chapter will begin to be written by the sovereign hand of God. He says in verse 11, But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him will exult. David looks to that day when he'll come through this wilderness. God will deliver him through it, and he's waiting on the Lord for that day. He's not trying to take control of the situation. He's trusting, he's trusting his life to the Lord, and the Lord is going to come through. And he says, But the king, David, shall rejoice in God. I'm rejoicing in God now, but I'm looking forward to the day I'm actually going to rejoice on that side of the wilderness as God delivers me through it. And all who swear by God and thus state allegiant to David will also exult with him. David can see the light at the end of the tunnel and he waits patiently for the Lord to act. He knows that God ultimately will deal with all evildoers, those who speak lies. This is what God revealed to David in the wilderness. Himself as God, his steadfast love, his all-satisfying sufficiency, his helping presence, and his perfect sovereignty. And this is what God wants you to see whenever you are in the wilderness of life. God is writing our stories. And ultimately, he's going to write difficult chapters, chapters we would have never wanted, never imagined, never asked for. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to find him in the wilderness. He wants us to see him as he reveals himself to us. And my prayer for us is that when we're in the wilderness, when we're in the difficult situations of life, that we'll be able to write songs like David did. That we'll be able to utter the kinds of things that David did as he praised God, as God showed up in his life in a mighty way. Let's pray for that.
Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the power of your word to minister to our hearts. We thank you that even though you take us into these times in the wilderness, Lord, you, you do so because you love us. You do that to show us your love for us and to reveal yourself to us, to show us that you are our God. You are everything. You are all that we have. We can trust in you. We can hope and wait upon you. We can worship you there in the wilderness. We can find all of our contentment and joy in the midst of hard, hard times. Lord, help us to get there. We confess that in our own power, we could never write this kind of song. But if you show up, Lord, if you manifest your presence in our lives, we can sing like David sang. We thank you for what you did in his life and what you're doing in our lives. Thank you that you're the one writing the story. And thank you that you're writing chapters in us so that you will become precious to us and so that we will become more like you. Thank you for the effect that this had on David's life. Thank you for the effect that all of the things that you're doing in our life is having on us. We praise you, we glorify you, and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.